Oh, dear. Listen I to guess the, I must be very bad at clapping. <laughs> so bad that Paolo had to so clap that for Paolo you. had to do it on my behalf. Yeah. Okay. This and perhaps other episodes of The Carmudgeon Show, which is part of the Haggerty Podcast Network, is brought to you by... Are brought to you? This no, I said this. And perhaps others. Is, yeah, you're going to have to do that again. That was awkward. No, no, no. That was, that was correct because that was part of a prepositional Let's phrase. Let's fix it. Many episodes of The Carmudgeon Show, comma, which is part of the Haggerty Broadcast Network, comma, are sponsored by... I think it is sponsored because many, many is singular. Episodes, many episodes of The of Carmudgeon the prepositional Show, prepositional phrase, comma, prepositional phrase. Derek, this is supposed to be a fucking ad read. We need to do this well. Okay. At the same time, we're going to say who's sponsoring this and perhaps other episodes. One, two, three. Reliable carriers. Exactly. And you know what? Chicken butt? At what? what? If you call reliable and mention the Carmudgeon Show. Oh, you, yes. When you're getting your quote, you get a discount of 10% on your car insurance. No, no. No geckos here. Just us. <laughs> we are not geckos. No, no one's giving you a Haggerty discount. No one's giving me a Haggerty discount. But you do get a 10% discount on your quote on reliable carriers. Is that, or transport. It's not actually a discount on the quote. It's a discount on the transport, which is done by the orange trucks. Are those not the same thing? If you got a discount on your quote and the quote is free, they give you a free quote. Okay. All right. Prepositional so, phrase. In sum, say the whole thing again. Reliable carriers, 10% discount if you mention on your transport, if you mention the Whatever this is. Carmudgeon show. Carmudgeon show. Great. Can we get back to our regularly scheduled stupidity where we're even <laughs> where stupider we can than be this? stupid about other topics. Yeah. Yes. I think so. Reliablecarriers.com. Uh, I am Derek Tam hyphen Scott, and this is Jason Kamisa. It warms my heart so to hear you using your Christian name. <laughs> uh, it has been um, properly indoctrinated. And this episode is about. Words that don't mean what you think they mean. Pontiac. That means excitement. Uh, but Fiero doesn't mean fire. Except no. it does. Except for when it does. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about the Pontiac Fiero, which means not fire in Italian. Uh, we're going to talk about other cars that like to light themselves on fire. Some of which are not even made by GM. But some of them some are. Some of them are, yeah. <laughs> most of them. I think most of the ones that we talked about today are. Yes. Uh, and we'll talk about, I don't know, what else are we talking about? That's Who basically knows? it. I don't know. It was a fun episode. carrying a fire extinguisher. The importance of carrying And the time that uh, you had a kitchen fire. A dining room, dining room fire. Dining room mm. table fire. That's yeah. important Be as well. Be careful of your pine tables, ladies and gentlemen. They burn quite easily. And now is the time when we play the fun little music and then come back and make fun. Time travel. Time travel. No. <laughs> sober. No, you don't have to be sober. We just came back from break. I am always sober on the Carmudgeon show. It's one of my greatest flaws. <laughs> uh, You're always sober, period. Oh, we talked about this before. <clears throat> hello and welcome. Uh, Sorry. Bless you. <laughs> you can't say hello and welcome. Yeah, it was because we were just watching the video in which you accidentally contacted whatever Toyota's OnStar is. What is it? I don't remember Toyota Connect. Because you used Jason Kaczynski's head. <laughs> as a as a bollard. <laughs> We're going to have to do an insert of this. But the uh, the long and short of it was, uh, <clears throat> I was in the GR Corolla, and uh, Jason Fensky was in the passenger seat, and I turned in while he was looking down, and he smacked his head and, and on the B pillar onto the uh, airbag sensor, mm-hmm. apparently, and it called 911. Three times. Well, if you're in pounds and I'm in kilos or something... <laughs> Connecting to the emergency <laughs> call center. <laughs> what happened? I don't know. I think we had an accident, but this is gonna be a fun call. <laughs> I don't know. Hold on. <laughs> there is no emergency. There is no. Uh, it, it called by accident. Thank you. We're all good. We got, there's no emergency. Thank you. All right, I'll disconnect. If you have any questions in the future, please share it for Thank Bye-bye. you so much. Bye-bye.
What did you do? <laughs> and then you had to talk to some person while you're on the track. Well, of course, uh, the second the, uh, you see me on the video, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a fun call. Jay's, Jay's all like, what, what, what? And I'm like, this is going to be a fun phone call. And the second she connects, I just downshift and throw it into a corner. And I, I wanted to maximize engine noise and tire squeals. So she'd be like, Sark, slow down, Sark, slow down. She was unfazed. She didn't care whether we lived or died. I don't think she could tell where you were. Because she said, what did she say? She said, oh, you've already been assisted. Yeah. So she, you just, she, she wasn't, she probably had so much background noise. She didn't know what was happening. Oh, but she uh, didn't, yeah. uh, she didn't quite get that we were not at in speed. Any, well, she didn't get that we didn't have an accident. Yeah. And I was doing that on purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. You've already been assisted. Sure. I'm so helping anyway. myself. So anyway, that was our Jason Fenske moment, our engineering explained. Are we explaining any engineering today? A manner of speaking, I think, right? Do we know... Uh, this car is on fire. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, in anticipation of your upcoming... Previously released. Previously released upcoming... Um, right. We, we are professionals. I'm going to have to... So ghetto. Nobody I, would have noticed if you had not... Um, somebody would comment. There's no play button on an image. The latest version of Apple's everything sucks. My phone doesn't work. No, like... My phone has been shitting the bed. Although it does charge now that there's no longer, like, pocket lint in the charging. Oh, well, congratulations so on that. But here I can... Hey, Siri, call Derek Tam Scott. And she's, she's like, I'm trying. My oh, didn't even... Look, didn't even try. She just... She wakes up for Hey, Siri, and then goes back to sleep. It's like... Mm, fuck she you can't know. be bothered. It's Monday. Oh, useless bitch. Um... <laughs> I routinely change the voice on Siri to different nationalities and, and different voices because I find that I get very upset. Like for, for a while, I had an Indian guy. And it was like, you know, what, who would you like to say? And it was fun to have a different accent. And then I started to like feel like upset at Indians. And then so I changed it to like a white guy. And then I hated white people. And then I changed it to like a, they have a new voice that's like, gender neutral and it's supposed to be like you can't tell whether it's a him or a her it's a they and it just sounds like i can't i can't i'm gonna go down we're gonna have to cut this whole segment out because i'm gonna piss everyone off but i just find <clears throat> it very, i get very upset at siri and depending on what I siri never sounds use siri like, period i can't anymore she doesn't work and bitch doesn't listen to me probably because i'm so that's because you abused her so much <laughs> she's probably got a restraining order that you don't know about <laughs> she definitely does uh, pontiac fiero was the phrase i was trying to say before all this started pontiac fiero is fire no thank you it is not it, it is cool it, is it supposed to be italian <clears throat> it's, it's supposed to be italian then that's it was proud indeed it was named after it's uh, because it was a the whole car was a con job. It's kind of my favorite. So the intro to that episode, that Revelations episode, is kind of the, is not kind of is definitely the my favorite one yet. We had a lot of fun. I loved it. I thought it was great. Thank you. Thank you. We uh, that you, you loved it because you don't come from Detroit, and I'm not making fun of your accent. You're not making fun. You're faithfully reproducing. No, that's what I thought. I mean, I'm sure that Michiganders are are going to be like, yeah, that's that not what even. we sound like. Oh my god! Um, but the whole idea was that I'm playing an executive on the hot seat. So you know, with the light bulb hanging down, we sprayed my face with water, um, and I'm sitting there with a fake cigarette and and a brandy, which is actually iced tea, and I'm being interrogated by the incomparable thomas holland from throttle house who does the best voiceover voice he was my first choice and i'm like hey thomas will you read this and he he sent me three versions and he's like i don't know which one's the best and the first one was so fucking funny i almost pissed myself then why does it, he's got this like teacher yelling at you when you're like yes. the teacher is trying to like distill your th distill through your bullshit when you're in like in school and in trouble <laughs> he just fucking made me laugh so hard uh in this scene so stupid but we had the fiero on fire gradually be <laughs> lighting itself increasingly on, on fire on fire in the background and so how we did it was mo it's mostly real i mean it, it's smoke and lighting do you want to give these trade secrets away no um but i had to show the owner of the car when i returned it to him i'm like you'll note it's in perfect condition not this on is, fire not, it, not presently not on fire pres not previously on not fire. previously on fire and this is here's what it looks like uh the guy was screwed out of a guy but uh, he laughed. And I'm like, you can't do an episode on Fiero without talking about fire. And it's not because Fiero means fire in Italian. No. Um, it means... Ferrari nuts will know the word for fiero, for fire because it is the name of a color. Rosso Fuoco. Fuoco. Uh, funny enough, I don't know if you know this because you haven't seen the episode yet. The One of the 
the number two choice for the Fierro's name was Fiamma. Oh, that means flame. Yeah, it's getting pretty close. Okay. Yeah, it was almost the Fiamma 2M4. That was, it, there, uh, there was another name that it was supposed to be. And uh, Is the four fuck. for four speeds? 2M4, four-cylinder. Four it was 2M4 and 2M6. Two-seat yeah. mid-engine. But they were originally four speeds, right? They were. Uh, almost their whole run were four speeds. It was only 87, I think, got a, got a five-speed. Um, but High uh, technology. It, it was an interesting car. You know, I, it, it, I always thought they were great looking. It was new about the fire problems. And you can't do an episode on a car that's notorious for burning itself. I, and the, when you go back through the recalls, it wasn't just one way it ignited itself on fire. I hmm. mean, these things lit themselves on fire so many different ways. And it's GM's That's an impressive achievement. Right. Why I, does that happen? I don't know. It's GM's first for here's the one thing. The budget was one third of a traditional new car budget. So that probably had something to do with it. Um, the what, whole do car, they normally have a pyrotechnic pyrotechnics <laughs> engineer that they hire that they weren't able to hire this time? Clearly. Um, but the, the 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 whole car was a con job, basically. It, the, the idea was it was the ni- late 1970s. Pontiac needed to hit caf- its cafe requirements, fuel economy requirements. And they had been trying to convince GM's board to allow them to do a sports car for years. And sort of common lore is that the, the Corvette team said no and put their you know foot down on it. Like, you know, Pontiac can't have a, a sports car. It'll kill us. That's not really, I'm sure there's some truth to that. But the real reason was that the GM's board kept looking at the numbers. Corvette had its own financial problems. Corvette was not profitable for a large portion of its history. And it was great as a halo product right but they don't like we don't need two buckets with holes in them that we when we already have the benefits of the corvette and the market itself was so small that they didn't think that the u.s market would be able to sustain two high performance sports cars so they kept telling pontiac no and then a a new guy came in bill hoagland bob Bob hoagland hoagland was his last name dude named hoagland came in in 1981 and they were he was he sort of got all the executives uh, at pontiac together and said let's just look at what pontiac was and what it is now, and then what it needs to be going forward. And they had a really, it was, I read a lot of uh, some pretty honest admissions by the Pontiac team uh, in the moment. Like, hey, everything we had in the 60s was great. We had GTO and, you know, we were sort of a youthful wide track, mm-hmm. you know, brand. And, and they devolved into shit in the 70s. Yeah. Which is, I mean, everybody did, to be fair, in the Malays era. But yeah. I think they were hardest hit of all the GM divisions because they were all of the things that made Pontiac different had been taken away. So the, that's there was, why the STE 6000 was so exciting when it came out a little bit later, but yeah, but they were still dealing with a hangover. Yeah. And they, so they, they had really toyed with the idea of killing Pontiac because there was just no reason for it to exist. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I mean, it happened later, yeah. but I mean, when you look at the five brands lineup, it was very clear what Cadillac did. Uh, it was the luxury brand and it was clear what, uh, Chevy did, which was the entry level brand. And, um, you sort of look, Buick was like the import fighter. Oldsmobile was the old man car. What is other way around? Other way around. Guess it wasn't that clear. Anyway, more importantly, back to Oldsmobile is the old man. Buick is an import fighter. I did not realize that that was the mission. I've always wondered about that because when you go back, gosh, I can't go in an entire episode without talking about motor week, but when you watch the, they would do these yearly like GM, model line summaries and you'd be like everybody has a j car everybody has a this and you're just like why do they make so many damn things of the same car and like what were people envisioning their differences were when it's all the same damn car and then be like this engine only is available in the buick you're like why did they do that like what is going on here i i I didn't ever really understand what all of the it it was clearer to me than what chrysler was i mean chrysler had the three brands and i couldn't i didn't realize i worked for chrysler in college and i didn't even realize that chrysler was the luxury brand and dodge was the sporty and plymouth was the cheap one it took me working there to fucking figure that out i think that that's more instinctively obvious to me there were too many the problem with there too many gm cars right yes and there's too many marks too many marks so i think of buick and cadillac buick is like cadillac but less money Mm mm-hmm and then Pontiac was a sporty Pony, Pontiac I get is a sporty one Chevy makes sense and then that leaves Oldsmobile as the traditional but then they do some weird stuff like the Trofeo that's like kind of vaguely spicy and innovative and like exciting and so then like do you remember the, the Trofeo ads or were you no I don't remember them so they right after Beetlejuice dropped in like the late 80s uh the banana boat song Dale right so they made a commercial that was trophy <laughs> i can't believe we're gonna need it's i 
My whole childhood was singing Trofeo. Trofeo, Trofeo. It's a new generation and we want a new host. Sequential port, fuel injection, anti-lock brakes. It is come and we want a new host. Visual information center handles great. This Oldsmobile is not our father's. New generation for the sons and daughters. Trofeo. Really? Mm-hmm. So, like, daylight that, come and it's like that's a little bit in, in consistent right. with what Oldsmobile is supposed to be. I could never figure it out. I think they changed. Well, a they're of gone things. now. They're gone now. Uh, um, and so, the what, Buick would be gone if it wasn't for the Chinese market. Chinese market Buick sales are huge. It's warm in here, isn't it? Yeah, I'm gonna turn up. You're there. also wearing more layers. I know, but I'm not gonna strip on camera. Uh, um, not so a, anyway, not here. <clears throat> so Pontiac needed excitement, and man, there's nothing more exciting than, than self-immolating cars. Um, so the budget was one third as much as a traditional GM new car project, which is fascinating. And they, um, what they did was, I didn't realize this. The the X car, which is the Chevy Citation, rear wheel drive compact. No, 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 front wheel drive. Citation was front wheel drive. Chevette is the rear-wheel drive. So they took the front suspension wholesale, including the disc brakes, from the front of the X, X cars, Citation, moved it in the back, which gave it a two and a half liter. It was supposed to have a 1.8 liter because it was supposed to be a fuel economy car. It was a commuter car. And that's they, how they sold it. They sold it to, to the, the board. board as a commuter car. And what they looked at was a Ford EXP, which was an, which is a shortened Escort that's two-seater. Escort, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was hideous. And the problem was you can't, when you have a transverse engine, you have a very upright front end and there's nothing you can do about it because the whole engine is a wall in the front. Mm-hmm. And so they said, look, we can't just truncate the rear of a car uh, to give it better fuel economy. That actually doesn't help. It hurts. And look at how ugly it is with the VXP. So instead they said, let's just take that. There was a, uh, a GM engineer, a Turkish guy named Hulki Aldekanchdi, which is a, such a fucking great, H-U-L-K-I. Like what a great name. Uh, and he was like, let's just move it in the back. So he took the X, X car's front powertrain and moved it right into the back. This is just like the Alpha 4C without the carbon fiber. Almost every mid-engine car is a front-engine, front-wheel drive transverse car. With Not almost every, every mid-engine car. If you look at total sales of mid-engine oh, cars well, throughout yes. history. The ones that you see. In, yeah, the sort of... Nor- the, but the, the ones that occupy headspace are all things like uh, Ferraris and Porsche Boxsters and... Boxster is a 911 flipped upside down. Anyway, anyway, um, so you, all you have to do is take the front. Backwards. Is it backwards? It's rotated 180 degrees. It's upside down. They literally take the, the engine. The transmission is upside down. The transmission is upside down, yeah. Um, and then they bolt the engine to it, and voila. Anyway, the, the point here is that they were able to take the X-Cars front-wheel drive platform, move it straight back, and then they took the Chevette, which was the T-Car, um, and the Chevette was a front-engine rear-drive car. So they took the front oh, so suspension took the front from the that. Yep, from the Chevette. And here you had a sports car with a Chevette front suspension and an X car rear suspension. Um, and but how did that work? Okay, I mean the the period reviews were not glowing. They didn't like it. The biggest issue is that it had two and a half liter. It had the Iron Duke, which was an all iron two and a half liter that made ninety eight horsepower. It didn't rev. It only revs just barely past 4,500, I think. Uh, and had a four-speed, widely spaced ratios. And they did, to GM's credit. How many horsepower did the 1.8 have? Oh, I think it was 92. It wasn't that much that much worse. The 2.5 had a lot more torque. Um, but the, the 1.8 never happened. But they did make a fuel economy package for the car. And it, it got really long gears and a, little tires. And it did hit 50 miles per gallon on EPA Highway. Remember that EPA's numbers have been adjusted twice since then. Yes, it, and I recall also from watching, again, the Motor Week review, that they were like, it's rated at 50, but our car, which isn't broken in, did like 36 12. or something <laughs> like 12. that. Uh, in this car, it was 20, I think uh, I think they got 28 on their fuel economy. 28 yeah. on their their 100-mile economy loop. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, it wasn't even close, but they did hit the 50-mile-per-gallon target, which was exactly what they needed to do for CAFE credits. Um, yeah, because they had all these other heaps yep consuming i mean what else did pontiac make at that time well the j cars were about to debut so that was the j2000 the 1000 was the chevette the 2000 was that and then they had the big cars i don't even what the hell was the pontiac oh the old bonneville 
That's the front engine rear wheel drive. It looks like mm-hmm. a little saber. Yep. This is the thing that they put the, the, the diesels in. Yeah. I don't know if the Pontiacs got diesel. Probably they did. Who knows? This is the problem. How do you keep track of five different brands under one corporate umbrella? And it was just different combinations of the same shit. Mm-hmm. So you had the 1.8, you had the 2 liter, you had the 2.5 liter Iron Duke, you had the 2.8. V6. V6. And then and the 4.3. No, the Vortec. Was that the one that came later, I think? Um, either way but they were just every division had its own combination of the same shit mm-hmm. um, there were a few unique powertrains i think i mean yeah the grand national turbo 38 yeah and the quad four the quad four was supposed to be in the second gen so there was supposed to be a second gen fiero um yeah. and it was going to be wider and more way more aggressive so look the whole, i started out by saying the whole thing was basically a con job to get it through as a two-seat commuter car and it, of course it was a sports car and they needed $30 million extra to finish the some huge suspension revisions to actually make the thing handle well. And they finally got it in 1988. And then before those cars could even, the reviews even hit the newsstands, the car was canceled. And it just, it needed 50,000 sales a year, year to be profitable. And it was 20 something that year. And it was just, it wasn't even close. So they killed the whole thing. But the next gen, so apparently the 1988 Fiero is the one to have because it actually got that $30 million. Is it a one year only? One year only. Jesus. I mean, there were different bodies. They kept making, you know, there was a there was the regular, the original, and then there was the fastback, which was the GT that got the V6 in it, which also still had the four speed, even though the the four cylinders got a new Suzu five speed early on. I mean, it's just the whole thing was not fully baked from the get go. And I think part of the reason the car got such bad reviews is that every year they would come out with a new version, and the engineers would be like, "But just wait, to see what's coming next." And the car magazines, when I went back through and read the read the period pieces, they're like, "What the fuck is this? A sports car on a goddamn installment plan?" Like <laughs> literally, car drivers said that. Um, come on, just fucking finish it. And they finished it and killed it. Um, but the second gen was finished going it off. Finished it off. The second gen was going to have either a quad four as the base engine, um, or the upgraded engine was a turbo three eight. V6. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So that there's where the conspiracy theorists say, hold on, the Corvette team said no fucking way. Oh, interesting. The reality of it is So they, what uh, so eighty eight and then eighty eight's the last year, the Fiero period? Mm-hmm. There were none after eighty eight. Correct. Oh. Correct. And you can see how you can start to poke holes in GM's arguments because they said it was financial based on sales numbers and that eighty eight hadn't had a chance to even be sold yet. But at that point, if internally, if you're looking at the documents, they were looking at, they were already evaluating second gen Fiero and they were predicting $23 million, 20 to $30 million in accumulated total losses over that generation. The second gen. Second gen. And they just didn't think it could com- compete with Honda CRX and Toyota MR2 and all the other sort of new. Which is uh, probably true. Definitely true. Um, shame because. Good uh, as those cars were. Yeah, I found some pictures. They're in the Revelations episode of the new, of the Gen 2 car that they've rolled out a couple times. And it's fucking badass looking. My God, with the, um, with the Grand National powertrain mm-hmm. in it. Heavy I assume that's, I, I assume that's if what it's a 3.8 3. liter yeah. V6 with a turbo on mm-hmm. it. That's the Grand National, yeah. right? Yeah. Ooh. But the <laughs> one that I drove, so the one that I drove is a five speed. It's an 86 and it's so 86, or 87. So it's a five speed V6 car. And holy shit, like it's genuinely quick. Um, and funny in enough, a straight line, but apparently doesn't handle if it doesn't it have the 88 bad. updates. It wasn't bad. You know, I really, I had to change a lot of the voiceover and a lot of the, the script after I drove the car because the magazines just bashed the ever living shit out of this car. And I drove it and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with them? There's nothing wrong with it. It was just docile. It understeered quite a bit, um, but it rode well and it kind of did everything well handling and, and chassis wise. The steering was okay. It was all fine. And I think their expectations were tempered, uh, were were set by a how it looked. Yes, which, which it looks incredible. like uh, for the price point, it's a ten. Yeah, and then number two is the constant updates that were promised. Oh, it's right. going to be great. And they are unable to properly stow their baggage from their previous interactions with the car, right? Because their first ones might have been right lacking. And, and the I mean, and they just kept saying, "But this is coming. But this is coming." And I, you know, I wonder had the Pontiac engineers not continued to point out all the shortcomings of the suspension, if it would have really been that bad. Because you read the text, and they're like, "Okay, well, it kind of understeers and it's docile and it's totally fine and it outgrips a lot of other cars and it does really well." But this is coming, and you're like, "Wait, yeah." yeah. I, <laughs> um, it was an interesting car, but also the fire issue. I mean, that yes, was probably didn't help things. Every fiero ever made was recalled 
for fire damage, and it was multiple recalls. So all the mm, four cylinders. Impressive. Yeah, the first one. That's the, in the great GM tradition. When you get to the modern era, now that we have the bolt and volt, and the volt is self-immolating issue. The uh, funny enough, the first one out of ten first year Fieros experienced an engine fire. <laughs> impressive. <laughs> and that came from Auto Week. Like I tried to fact check wow. that, but I found Auto Week was like, boom, this is how many fires have been reported. The first year cars had a bunch of issues. Firstly. The Iron Duke had it's a two and a half liter four zone. It had a four co- four quart oil sump. They reduced it to three, so they could re- <laughs> could lower the motor and keep the ground clearance. And of course, cars use oil, and so it uses a little bit of oil, and then it would lock up. So it would start for oil and lock up. And there was a com- I love the compounding fuckery that was going on. There was a run of connecting rods that were properly <laughs> improperly made. And so they had weak con rods in them. So they would starve for oil. And instead of just spinning a rod bearing, they'd fling a rod through the side of the block on the exhaust side and just oh, and then spew oil all over the hot exhaust. exhaust wow, what a fire. hell of a motor failure. That's, I mean, you want to talk about excitement? You remember mm-hmm. the old driving excitement. Build excitement. Pontiac, yeah, no, nothing's more exciting than a fucking flaming rod coming through the side of the block right into the exhaust and lighting the whole car on fire. But then there was a wire that was too close to the exhaust manifold. There was a head gasket and, oh, I'm sorry, valve cover gasket seepage issue, all of which wound up on the Oil exhaust on manifold. Exhaust. <laughs> then there were front, the front of the car had some failure points with s- smoke. Like you see tons of videos. Electrical issues. Electrical issues must be on the front. It's fucking unbelievable. So there were a bunch of recalls. Well, there's your problem. There's your. That's a, a podcast that I sometimes watch called "Well, There's Your Problem," mm-hmm. where they go through engineering failures of various kinds, and uh, they just talk through what happens. But I mean, this sounds like a yeah. classic, right? It's a confluence of a bunch of shit happening, right. and when you sum it all up, you yep. get uh, flames. Yep, you get flames. So, um, cool story. You should watch the Revelations episode because there's some stuff in there about the way that car was constructed. No car before that had ever been constructed in this means. And that was uh, developed as a way of actually getting it through in inexpensively was, you got to remember, it's something we don't think about. When you build a car, part of the expense is building a factory. Mm-hmm. You have to build the factory to build the car. And um, so the uh, the pla- it was plastic body panels. It was the Saturn dent-proof body panels before Saturn was Saturn. And um, so they came up with a new method of constructing this body that had never been done before. And pretty interesting stuff. Um, but that leads me to the, the idea that cars burn. Yes, GM certainly makes some cars that uh, catch on fire. It was funny, earlier we were, uh, right before we started recording, you and I were looking looking up the Chevy Bolt incident, uh, Chevy Bolt uh, recall. Yes. And at one point you're like, wait a second, is it the Bolt or the Volt? And I'm like, yes, they're both recalled for fire risk. Yes, I mean, I guess you're not allowed to charge one inside or yeah. something like that. And then GM was paying people like $6,000 a piece not to sue them over the recall incident. I mean, <clears throat> yeah. And then you have the sort of, thermal runaway issue where you either well best case you get a fire worst case you get the car off gassing hydrogen gases and then uh you get a spark and not a bolt (laughs) sorry (laughs) um you get a spark and then it blows up the whatever if it's in a confined space um a friend of mine was telling me about how one of these did this in a garage and it blew the garage door off and it hit the house across the street because <laughs> the garage filled up with hydrogen and then something sparked it it blew the garage was it door a spark across. that sparked it they was they got they in there they had a chevy spark they yeah started their chevy spark and it sparked the fire boom uh-uh. i mean i kind of want to see the neighbor's like security camera footage of like yeah, what was so it was in a garage, a garage door, door. <laughs> flying across the neighborhood we detected a package on your front stoop <laughs> oh wait no it's a garage door um uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, cars, there's definitely, I mean, we of course talk, we miss, waste no opportunities to talk about the Mira and how it mm. tends to catch on fire. But you can really, you can bring that really down to anything carbureted has a huge chance of catching yes. fire. Yes, and if it's old, you get additional risks associated with that too, because if you have fuel being transmitted in rubber lines that are decades old, then you end up with high pressure fuel spraying in places that there could be heat and... High pressure fuel is much more uh, combustible than just dripping fuel. Carburetors run at one, two PSI often. They're very, very, very low fuel pressures. Uh, So typically the problem is there, you have fuel that's exposed to the atmosphere. It's it's evaporating as once the car is turned off, whatever's in the bowls kind of evaporates out into the environment. Um, and that's or a pours out in some cases like right. the mirror onto the exhaust manifold. And mm-hmm. um, so it's pretty amazing that cars burn as infrequently as they really do. 
you think yes, about it? Yes, I mean, this is one of those things where if you put cars into perspective, I, I love doing this thought experiment with motorcycles. I think I have mentioned this before, but if you went to the Department of Transportation, you were like, okay, I'm going to imagine this thing that's got an internal combustion engine, and then there's a reservoir of flammable liquid which you put on top of it uh and then it only has two wheels and then you put the whole lot of it between your legs do you think we could sell this to the public today the department of transportation would be like are you out of your fucking tree of course you can't sell that to the public do you know how dangerous that is and you're like not attached to it or anything mm-hmm. like that but i think mm-hmm. cars are like this where we it's just like oh yeah there's like a risk of fire and we kind of get used to this and people run around waving their hands and wringing their hands about the risk of fire from electric vehicles and they're like mm. Cars, the conventional cars have similar risks, and we have seen this, you know, either designed in, of course, the Pinto example is is very famous uh, for this. And you were saying before that it was found to be negligence. It was an economic decision. So someone had identified that there was in there was a chance of same thing with the GM side saddle pickups. By the way. Um, someone somewhere, some bean counter, had decided that uh, yes, they had identified a engineering flaw that would cause a rear end collision in a rear end collision apart would puncture the tank and the tank would explode would rupture and that would cause an explosion and somewhere along the way uh someone made the decision that the loss of human life was worth that i think it was don't quote me on this we should have done this research before it was something like 12 cents per car it was a very very minor change at least in you know what we would think of um you know product planners deal with tenths of a cent and oh this is going to cost a one penny per car we can't do it because you have to amortize it over two or three million cars and if they let every part get more expensive by a cent then you'd have a hundred thousand dollar chevy cavalier um i don't really like that side of this business i mean i've gone on tangents bitching about premium car manufacturers not doing amber turn signals yes the amber turn signals have been proven to reduce the, the risk of a rear-end collision by some significant margin and you have some twat in a product planning office somewhere saying I mean, i'd rather this is them why die. we have laws because yep. the laws exist to enforce this because it's like it's not an issue of cost it's public safety it's public safety i mean it's like you get to the eu and all the cars have amber lenses right which as they should Right, and they have um, real headlights, and they yes. don't drive around at night in the dark with no lights on like every goddamn Japanese and Korean mm-hmm. car on our roads. It's fucking irritating. Yes, and all this could be legislated out of existence for all. And then instead, we're spending legislation dollars on dumb shit instead about like, oh, you can't have laser headlights because even if you pay for it because they are Because they have the potential new. for blinding people. Right. <laughs> because they're new. Well, they have the potential for blinding people, and we don't trust the European government's test on this, and we have to make sure that we do our own tests, spending more tax which we have no, Which we have no plans to conduct. But right, and no budget might. to do. That yes. was the problem with the, with the uh, adaptive matrix headlights, was that the DOT said, we don't have the money to do the experiments, so we're just not allowing them. <sighs> Meanwhile, the bulbs that we have in existence are, are from the 1940s. Anyway... Um, so yeah, you, you had a product planner somewhere and, you know, make a decision that the loss of human life was worth the 12 cent per car. And again, don't quote me the number of the 12 cent per car savings. Uh, and that got out when the Pintos kept exploding in rear end collisions. Uh, and it should also be noted that that whole thing happened because Ford was found on their heels a little bit when the fuel crisis happened and they're like, shit, we need to get a fuel efficient car out because we're losing sales to all these foreign manufacturers who make efficient Mm -hmm. cars. And so we need to get something out ASAFP that is in the marketplace. And so, like, can you guys develop it twice as fast as you should uh, and, and put it in the market? And, of course, then there's, like, some kind of engineering issue that develops because the car was thrown together rather mm-hmm. quickly in an effort to not miss the, the market for, the, for, for those cars. So it's all, like, contextual. It's all related mm-hmm. to economic and environmental and governmental regulatory environment. It's all a sum of those things. And then you end up... Uh, with people on fire as a result uh there's no such excuse when exotics do that i mean what is it with exotics catching fire i that's a great question i don't actually know i mean it's it's happened as recently as like the first uh 991 gt3s i think well, those were that was an engine fire because it was engine failure right rod through the side of the block was that again. the same thing and then the ferrari 458 when it first came out they, they were, were also catching on mm-hmm, fire mm-hmm. For uh, reasons. We all know, we've all seen the video in Monaco of the old lady throwing. Yes, with the F40. I mean, that's like the old car experience. When you have a car that sits and it's got rubber components on it transmitting fuel, then you introduce the risk of, you know, fire happening where it's not supposed to. I mean, a car is an intrinsically unstable device in the sense that it's literally got fire happening inside of it. 
Well, and it, it, not just in the engine. If you think about, it, first of all, it literally, yes, has en- fire in the engine. But look at all the other ways it could catch itself on fire: Br- wheel bearings, brakes sticking. I mean, there are so many different electrical have, issues, right? Electrical. And, and when there's rubber playing an important role in all of those systems, and it's decades and, old, or made out of soy-based rubber, rub, uh, soy-based rubber. Di- that, yeah, the biodegradable. Yeah, wiring that, harnesses. Well, and the soy stuff. I saw that Mercedes recently posted to their Instagram that we've been using since the 1990s biodegradable materials. And I was like, my God, it's taking all of my self-restraint to not go in there and comment on their Instagram post about it. And this is why your damn cars have premature electrical wiring harness failure when they were 10 years old. And right. how everybody now shopping for a used Mercedes is like, does it have the original wiring harness in it? Yeah. If not, then it's going to have run shitty and maybe catch on fire. This is un- look. They were bowing to pressure from the Greens, right? From the Green Party in Germany, which was you know rising in in popularity at that point, and they needed to appease them. So they said, "Okay, we'll start to make the car self recycle." But that actually was the problem with the E36. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that. Yes, um, the the E36's shit interior wasn't BMW saying we're going to save some money. It was BMW trying to appease the Green Party and saying, "Look, this car self recycles," and while you're driving it, unfortunately, that happened a little. Bit bit sooner than i think they expected or certainly sooner than we expect on you know as classic car yeah yeah um really interesting i mean to see those environmental uh, environmental factors play into what you're trying to help the environment but what you're really doing is prematurely removing an old car off the road because it's now caught on fire because the biodegradable wiring harness either biodegraded or is made out of soy products which attracts rodents which then catch them right who then catch your car on fire. And I'm guessing recycling a car is probably less harmful to the environmental than, than burning, burning it. it on the side of the road. Like that. I just love the, the, my favorite thing about the Monaco F40 that caught on fire is of course the old lady who's standing there with a garden hose as the car is just in completely engulfed in flames. And it's, she's like, I'm watering my plants, but also this Ferrari, which is burning down, burning up. I, you know, I, I never used to carry fire extinguishers in the car until I got the Ferrari and you know really that, yeah and it was just something i didn't think about and it's like an 80 pound or 50 pound 30 pound whatever it is no, you missile the, well yes well, that right, part that is concerning scared me and there was never i, I wasn't put it on the floor under this under the driver's seat. seat or whatever wherever it fits but my point is i don't want that missile to kill me you know it's great irony of like oh i put a safety thing in my car and it killed me um and that's it's, like with people hitting their heads on roll bars right when, when they should wear when they should wear a helmet the the ferrari was the first one because i mean you turn it off and it stinks up the garage of unbur- unburnt fuel it turns the garage basically into a bomb mm-hmm. and i keep thinking what happens if one of these bowls leaks and there are eight bowls in that car i mean there's just eight times the failure <laughs> points mm-hmm. of any single car single throat carb um which got me thinking about those element fire extinguishers i have used one (laughs) i'm i want to hear about this because i reached out to them and i'm like listen you know we are looking for sponsors for it's not my job i I stay away from sponsorship but we have a guy that's looking for sponsorships and i called the element people and i'm like i have seen some of the demonstrations of your products and i really want to learn more about it and the owner called he called me and (laughs) we spawned up sending two hours on the phone just chatting about cars total car guy of course um and he was telling me about some of the technology in it and he was like look i'm about to leave on vacation for a month um can we talk when i get back and i'm like yeah sure i want like i want to learn more about your products um and he's like hey send me your address and he sent me one of the fire extinguishers for each one of the cars so now each one of my cars has a fire extinguisher in it and the coolest thing is they fit anywhere yeah they're tiny i mean you're like how can this possibly extinguish a fire it doesn't have enough mass it's not heavy enough. Yeah, it weighs. So I weighed them. I'll have inserts in this. I don't remember what it was, but the the small fire extinguisher that I keep in the Scirocco. The, so I now, got an aluminum one because I was like, oh, I'll get the lightweight Halon, not not oh, the, the regular the conventional right. extinguisher. And it, Halon. I think this was twenty. It was twenty pounds. These are something like eighty five percent lighter than any other traditional fire extinguisher. Yes. The, I have I, two. I said differently that it weighs fifteen percent as much as a yeah. normal extinguisher. But I, I think the difference from mine was even better because I have a big one in the Ferrari in the trunk, a small. one one in the cabin and now an element in the um in the glove box but the glove the, and the beat comes from the factory like all jdm cars with a mount for road flare mm. and it's made to be the same size as the road flare oh. so yeah if you watch the abc revelations video at the end when i drive i wound up driving my car because the car that we had had a valve adjust out of adjustment it just didn't sound right and you can see it on the floor it's right there so mm. i know that if anything ever catches fire <laughs> yeah it kept us from burning a car down. So yeah, so. you used one mm-hmm. in the shop. Oh, yeah, on a boxer. Okay, what happened? 
it didn't catch on fire anymore than it really was. <laughs> the puddle of gas under the car was on fire as well, but it worked on all that. It's surprisingly good duration. Seems to, I mean, I've never used a conventional extinguisher, so I don't know. But I, it, once, put, and it makes such a mess. Oh, you know what? I did once. Uh, <laughs> Actually, so this table, this reminds me of this. The only one time I've ever used one, thank God, and let's hope it's the only time I ever have to do, was in my dining room. So it was Christmas, and we were here in Germany. We had a pine table just like this. You know, you know, I'm like psycho about all these co- coasters, and it's because my childhood, we had a pine table. And pine is the wrong wood to ever make a table out of because you can take your fingernail and make a permanent divot in it. So we uh, we were it was Christmas. My my family had come to visit us in Germany, and uh, we had an advent wreath. And this is like the Germans are serious fucking pyromaniacs. I mean, I mean that as no. As a compliment. So, as a compliment. Motherfuckers love to burn some shit down. And so we had um, this advent wreath. And so for the four weeks before Christmas, I think it's four, don't quote me on this Christian shit. Uh, for the couple weeks before Christmas, there's <laughs> there are a bunch of candles and you progressively light each one. And then at the end of Christmas Day, you light the one in the middle. And it's a wreath made out of, <laughs> of course, now dried kindling, pine needles. Kindling, <laughs> right. as it turns out. Uh, you know, but like my neighbors, when we lived there, used real candles on their Christmas trees. And we're like, what are you, crazy? And they're like, yeah, every once in a while it catches on fire, but, you know, just spray it with an extinguisher and no big deal. And, you know, I just immediately picture Christmas vacation with the whole tree goes Old up. trees do do that. Yeah, they do. Um, and so we had dinner. It was a lovely dinner. And Until. My, and, well, my mom and my aunt went out for a walk. Uh, to walk the dog my grandmother went into the library my dad and my sister were in the living room watching tv and i was downstairs in my room smoking cigarettes which i shouldn't have been doing and lighting shit on fire i'm just kind of like on the phone with friend and i'm like just talking and smoking and lighting little pieces of paper on fire and i hear my father screaming what the fuck is this smoke and i'm like oh whatever you know he's just like being dramatic i'm like put the cigarette out really quickly open (coughs) you know like clear out the room and he's going on and on and on about the, you know, the smoke. And I'm like, oh, something's wrong. And I hear my grandmother upstairs, Janet, my mom, who's nowhere to be found. So I walk up and I'm like, oh, I'll call you later. Click, walk upstairs and the dining room table's on fire. <laughs> so the advent wreath is on fire, right? And it's just kind of smoldering, you know, it's maybe six, eight inch flames around this whole thing. But, you know, in an closed house my god does that fill up quickly with smoke so my dad's like don't touch it whatever bubble and he fills up this pasta pot with water that takes fucking forever and uh there are, it's crackling like you know the, i don't know what the hell is at this point i don't know what's burning it's crackling and dripping stuff is hitting the rug below it and i'm like putting it out with my foot and finally he comes and he th- throws this huge pot it had to have been eight liters like two gallons of water right on the table and all that did was piss the fire off it went why i don't know well i know now it's chemical fire it was the polyurethane so it engulfed polyurethane of what on the table it was a high gloss polyurethane pine table engulfed the chandelier i mean i just when i within a half a second he we both jumped back and i was already holding the fire extinguisher that was by our front door because we rented a house from germans who were probably smart enough and i just went that fast and it put the whole thing out um i mean literally took half a second and was out the fuck we cleaned that house for six months but of course the whole thing so my mom my mom comes in and my dad you know who's prone to drama was throwing out every candle in the house (laughs) my mom's walking up from our side of the story they had this lovely walk (laughs) they're coming back in like an hour later and she's like she tells the story today she's like i'm walking off the driveway and i'm like what the fuck did that idiot do why is every window in this house open it's the middle of winter (laughs) and she hears glass breaking and whatever and she's like what's going on he's screaming and she walks in and she's like what are you doing i've turned out all your fucking candles and she's like no you're not and she starts pulling them out of the bag and they he's like you burned the fucking house down and she turns around and there's the dining room which had been white which is completely black the chandelier's all fucked up yeah it was um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fire makes a lot of mess and the house stunk for quite some time yeah of burnt wood it smelled like burnt pine oh, it's better than smelling like burnt chemicals it's and true. car well, smells it was, it was, burnt it was car very, smells are unpleasant it was actually very chemically and i think that was the polyurethane i think that's the reason why that flame you know also the other thing is you dump water on it the water immediately boils and expands as steam and that's just that's probably what also happened i know nothing about fire control more importantly it was months of cleaning that house 
months. So you put a regular fire extinguisher out on a car and the car is in trouble. Yes, we had a detailer at my last job who mistook the hood release. He mistook the fire extinguisher for the hood release. Oh, no. Uh, and so he set off the extinguisher. <laughs> this is one of the... Uh, it was a Tesserosa. Uh, uh, it was a plumbed-in... It was a built-in system where you there was just a pull for in-case-of-fire thing, and it was on the kick panel next to the door jam where you would expect the hood release mm-hmm. to be. Uh, and so he pulled it, and it set the extinguisher off on a perfectly not-on-fire Tesserosa. <laughs> Um, how much how bad there's a lot of like detailing afterwards yeah. it was just and, like powder everywhere it's so it's just powder yeah i i i don't know how you didn't pull the pull the lever on your mirror on the last fire because it recently last fire that's the last one kind of that's the one that, the mel- that melted the air box air boxes yeah. oh yes i was very close i can imagine because that i mean you know that that car tried stuff to, i don't think we've ever shown this insert Yes, you have many times about the electric. I mean, I've talked about it, but yeah, the the electric window switch that tried to. Yes, I I had a seance. I made Uh, a. And then uh, what's that thing called? The pentagram. Pentagram. Yeah, lit lit candles on fire with all of my fire extinguishers around that car. I'm scared to death. Mm, I mean, it's insured. I don't. Fine, you can light it on fire. No, no, no. It. I don't. It doesn't have to. I'm not. It'll take care of it. I am not going to be the one who is in charge of your car when it decides that I've had it. I'm out. See you bye. Yeah. finishing myself off for the 90th time <clears throat> uh yes so fire is a real risk carry an extinguisher i guess is the moral of all this story yeah. especially if you're in an old car even if it's fuel injected if, if it's carbureted for sure and then the early fuel injected, the, the bosch cis stuff that runs at 85 psi mm-hmm. 60 to 85 that's a lot for, of yeah, pounds for the, for the fuel distributor mm-hmm. uh, but look at yes. look at the amount of recalls on modern cars i mean all e was it e90s were all recalled they were they were lighting people's houses on fire left and right really mm-hmm they have a you'd think we would have figured out how to solve this but there's there are just too many ways that a car can catch itself on fire i mean that one was a battery thing to have battery ground cable with a i think you have a story about a battery tender setting a car on fire also which one it was at an audi dealer recent oh the one over here yeah battery tenders scare the shit out of me i almost never leave cars on battery i've never burned my house down with a battery tender the dealership here i went to go pick up my second e-golf and the audi showroom was closed um over they had an a8 on the showroom floor brand new car with a brand new battery tender um and it malfunctioned and the thing about a tender that scares me is that you have an unlimited source of electricity coming from the outlet basically yeah right um and your battery cannot handle an unlimited amount of electricity and so if the float if how whatever reason it fails it can overcharge your battery and the battery can explode and apparently one of the cleaning guys came in really early like five o'clock in the morning before the dealership opened and smelled something um, ran upstairs, saw that the car was on fire, and unplugged it. And it was still too late that the the car burnt, but the whole dealership didn't because all the sprinklers went off. But apparently, all their computers were on the floor, like on the you know under their desks. So all the computers got ruined in the in the showroom, but it didn't burn the dealership down. And I thought, man, even a new car and a new a new battery tender. Oh god, that's scary. Yeah, and new cars tend to have draws that you sort of necessitate mm-hmm. putting them on tenders. Right. I mean, like all the if. Like the Ferrari techs are like, oh, the car was off a tender for a week. You're fucked. Yeah. Like you just have to leave those cars on tenders. It scares me. Yeah. It scares me. I like the idea of a, of a solar tender because they only have so much power that they can put out. So I did for a while have, my Lotus is my only car that needs a tender. And I don't want to ever, I don't ever want to kill the battery because I don't want to reset the monitors because I know what will happen if I have to smog it. And so, you know, the great irony of everything I do is karmic retribution, right? Mm. So I, I, for the last, I think I've owned the car for four years or five years. I've never let that battery die. Couldn't be belong in that. I owned the car a long time, and I finally got a. Uh, I finally have to smog it this week, and I go to pick it up from the studio. And Dead battery? No, battery's fine. Oh. I make. I start it. I roll it back out. I was on a tender, so I put it on a tender usually one one day for every three weeks or something, and I just get it to one hundred percent and let it. You know, slowly. It lasts about four or five weeks. It'll be stone cold dead. Um, so I kind of just regularly kind of keep it touched up. And uh, drove it outside, move a couple cars around, get in it, check engine lights on. And I'm like, oh no, and now I'm on my way to smog it. So I get home and I read the code and it's a fuel cap. Like it's a, you know, it's a fuel uh, vapor. And I go, look, the cap is fucking loose. I didn't, it, the, the cap doesn't really fit, right? So it's my mistake. And now mm. I had to 
reset everything, which clears the monitors. And I've had friends take a year to reset monitors. And these are cars that they drive every day. And I'm like, oh no. And even like the lady at the DMV was like, oh, just go and put like a thousand miles on it. Do two days of 500 mile drives and whatever. And I'm like, this car goes 500, 600 miles a year. Like, because Toyota engine set all of its monitors in 40 minutes, uh, 40 miles. Mm, so thank, <laughs> thank God. Lord. So I can go smog Because Ferraris, I mean like modern 575s, these, and these guys, it's just like, and it's a car that has hundreds of miles on it. I mean, you cannot smog it right. effectively. So I think this is probably a, a particular California problem. So every year, every other year in California, we have to do a smog check. So an emissions test on our cars. And for 2001 and later, OBD2 cars. Um, you, oh, not all OBD2 cars are like this? No. To the, well, they're all like this. But 2001 and later, we don't have a tailpipe test anymore. It's just looking at check engine, uh, check engine light status. And uh, for 96 to 2000, it's at, well, 2000 previous, they all have to go on a, on a dyno and they're tested that way. I didn't know way. you had to, didn't have to dyno cars later than 2001. 2001 is just plug in. But what they're looking for is a lack of a check engine light, but also a lack of a, a non-ready code. So what the, Laundry if you ready. reset, yeah, if you reset the check engine light or the car dies and it loses its memory, it throws a not ready code, which is not, doesn't light up the light, but throws a non-ready code to tell the Inspector. The inspector that the car has not been through enough cycles that it can comprehensively Com- conclude yeah, that, that it's yeah. fine. Um, and some of these cars to set those monitors will take, I think uh, our friend Bill's wife, Tammy, who, who had an E46 M3, uh, it took her 8,000 miles uh, to, of, to finally get the, the last cycle. Yeah, but even still, they did it. I mean, it was the, you know, start it from a cold, let it idle for exactly 37 seconds, and yes, then drive and it at exactly at 45 miles, miles an hour in for third gear, and then gradually up. slow down. And you're like, where on earth am I going to find a place to do this? Oh, I have friends that do it on, like, on the highway, like at three o'clock in the morning with their flashers on, because you have to do exactly 46 miles an hour. If you ever go over 3,421 RPM, it discount. I mean, they're so fucking yeah. stupid. And it, it's like a pages long yeah. thing that you have to do every yeah. single step. And then three ice cold, stone, uh, stone cold, ice cold starts that are between X and Y temperature. It's so friggin' stupid. Hmm. Um, so I was so nervous on that about the Lotus, but well, good thing you have a Toyota. Well, we'll see. I got to go smog it. So hopefully my, my readiness codes stay ready and that scares me. Smog may the it. force be with you and may it not catch on fire. But they don't, Lotuses don't burn. Do they? I don't know. Everything burns. In some form. All right. Go buy an extinguisher. Or just maybe they'll mail them to you too. Email them and say, hey, you gave Jason fire extinguishers. That doesn't work that way, huh? You are the devil. (laughs) This episode is not sponsored by Element Fire Extinguishers, even though... No, it's unsponsored by them. But the health of my cars is actually sponsored by them. So so my, my blood pressure reduction is sponsored by Element Fire Extinguishers. This is basically a homeopathic uh, remedy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And on that note, uh, come see us next week because we record the Carmudgeon show every week. Hold on. We record the Carmudgeon show whenever we get around to it, but we... A new episode comes out every week. We deploy the, the episodes once a week, only here on all of the places you can find podcasts. You got to clap. Do you need to clap? And now we can end the episode. Shit.